You are listening to The Investor Way with Sam Ball and Jonathan McEwen. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. Hello, welcome to The Investor Way with me, Sam Ball, and my co-host, John McEwen. It's the 3rd of April, 2022, and in this week's episode, we'll be discussing Ibstock, Ted Baker, Saga, Keyword Studios, AG Bar, and Lululemon. John, should we start with Ibstock? Yes, so Ibstock, the FTSE 250 listed brickmaker, had their full year results out earlier in March, with full year revenue rising 29% to £409 million, with strong demand and price increases helping offset inflation. As a result, EBITDA almost doubled to £103 million. However, this was still £19 million below pre-pandemic levels. We break the results down. Revenue from clay was up 31% to £280.2 million, but 7% behind pre-pandemic levels. This was driven largely by price increases with only a small rise in volumes. However, cash profits more than doubled to £90.6 million and the division repaid approximately £2 million in furlough cash. In the concrete division, revenue rose 25% to £128.4 million, with a recovery in both residential and infrastructure markets, along with price increases. The Longley Concrete acquisition in 2019 led revenue 18% above pre-pandemic levels. Excluding this acquisition, like-for-like revenue was 6% ahead of 2019, largely as a result of price increases. Underlying cash profits were up 44% in the division to £21.7 million, but supply chain issues put pressure on margins and they fell to 19.3% from 21.1% in 2019. Higher variable wages contributed to central costs rising 35% to £9.3 million, and Ibstock is on track to spend £38 million in 2022 and 2023 on a factory to build more sustainable brick facades. Construction has already begun and it's expected to be online by late 2023. Adjusted free cash flow was up £24.9 million to £51 million with improved profits. And that's £17.8 million higher than pre-pandemic levels. Net debt was down 44% to £38.9 million. And the group announced a 5p final dividend with a total of 7.5 pence for the year, which is double what the group paid in 2019. The group also confirmed that trading in the current period reflected a strong demand and implementation of a flexible pricing structure to mitigate inflationary pressures. The group have fixed 85% of their energy in 2022 to hedge against further price increases. In terms of valuation, Ibstock has a market capitalization of just under £720 million and trades at 9.2 times earnings. And that compares with an average since being relisted in 2015 of 12.7, and it currently yields around 5.5%. I thought these were very good results. I suppose Ibstock's perhaps not the most impressive or interesting business, but it's perhaps a more defensive play on the house building sector. We've talked in the past about the expense of importing bricks. I suppose one potential worry would be that the energy prices and producing the bricks from that but they have hedged against that and ultimately they're probably if there's a strong demand from the sector they're able to pass that that cost on to the the big builders 
it's got very decent dividends and it's it's trading at under 10 times earnings so it might be a, a decent dividend play to have in the portfolio it's not one that particularly excites me and i wouldn't be adding it to my own portfolio sam what do you think i like it i think these are very good results actually i think it's a good set of results i think when you look at the cash flow that's pretty good I think the valuation is very good under 10 and the dividend yield of 5.6 is very very good i think for me because i used to own this business and i do like it and on valuation it's very attractive i think for me the issue with it is although the price is very reasonable i struggle to see where the growth comes from and i, I think as the other thing is as well it's got it's a very capital intensive business so the only way they can really make more money is by selling more bricks and the only way they can produce more bricks is to build more factories and that does cost a lot of money it's a very capital intensive business model and we're seeing that with the new factory which they're spending 38 million pounds on i know that will contribute a lot but that is that's 80 percent of the cash flow for the year that's going into the new factory i think it's got a long a lot of long-term tailwinds as well just in for the same things when we talk about why we like the house builders i think this will Brickmaker would also benefit from it. I wouldn't worry too much about when the hedging runs out, even if energy costs go up, because I do think they can just pass it on. And then the house builders will just pass it on. And it's just people buying houses that will actually bear the inflation. I, I don't I don't see why if Ibstock was to say, well, the price of bricks is going up 10%. I, if you're a house builder, I think you've just got to pay it. If you want to, if you want to import yeah. bricks instead. That's not that's not going to be more efficient. It's not yeah. it's not the sort of thing you want to be importing. So, whatever bricks they can make, they can sell, and I think whatever bricks they sell, they'll be able to just pass on any inflation. Yeah. Would you buy shares again, or do you, is it a case? I think you said before it was sort of opportunity cost with Ipstock. Yes, I, I do like the company. I just think I can get better returns elsewhere. If I was 65 years old and I was investing for an income, mm. it would probably be in there. But I think for what, given my age and what I'm trying to do with my portfolio, and it's more, I'm more investing for growth. I just struggle to see where that growth comes from. But I, I think in terms of the valuation and the yield you get from it, I think it's a very, very good business. Fair enough. On to Ted Baker. Yes. A not so good business. Mm. So Ted Baker, which we have covered a few times on the show now, I don't think we've had any pos anything positive to say about it yet, but they have received and turned down two acquisition offers from Sycamore Partners Management LP. So Sycamore first offered 130p a share for Ted Baker on the 18th of March. And after that was rejected, they upped their bid to 137.5p a share, which was also rejected. And for reference, the shares are currently trading at 128.2p. So it doesn't look like shareholders are pricing in a third bid or anything like that. Management said the offers failed to compensate shareholders for future potentials, saying the management actions taken over the last two years have put the business on a firm footing and it is now well on the way to recovery following a turbulent period. In terms of the valuation, it doesn't have any earnings, as you may recall from the last time we talked about it, and the prospective dividend yield is nil. In terms of the share price, so the, the second bid that was rejected was 137.5p. 
it's currently at 128.2p and that compares to a 52-week high of 217p and a 52-week low of 79p. So I was just wondering, John, what do you think about this offer and were management right to reject it? I mean, I think when you look at, when you look at the shareholders, Ray Kelvin and two other large shareholders control over 50% of the business. I think probably if you believe in the brand and I suppose the serious potential recovery that it or turnaround that they might deliver and the fact that it was trading higher than the current, the offer price only a year ago, you probably would think that Sycamore were being very opportunistic and that you weren't going to get, let it go that cheap. I appreciate it. It has no earnings, but the value that's you know within that brand and what you could get it back to or grow it to. If I were a shareholder, I, I don't know. I guess if you if you if held it for five or ten years, you'd be so far down, it, it it probably wouldn't make up much of your portfolio anymore. So maybe you'd may, maybe you just let it ride, let it hold it. I don't have strong views on it, to be honest. No, I'm similar to you. So if you bought five years ago, you would be down ninety five percent. So I would I would agree getting an extra like 10% compared to the current share price, you'd probably, if I was a shareholder and I was down 95%, I would probably want management to reject it because I'd probably, this is a company in the last couple of times we've looked at it, it could go bust in the next few years. That could happen, in which case you'd have a total write-off. But if that's your final 5% anyway, I'd probably be willing to roll the dice with it. Yeah. But if you bought in the lows back in like December, January... At 79p, you might feel a bit differently. There's that short-termism with it. If you, well, if you yeah, look back in the lows. I just think as well, the management's the way the management worded it as well, the statement, you think the turnaround's already complete. Mm. And then when you yeah. look at the last few numbers, it, it definitely isn't. So it'll be interesting to watch. But yeah, I, I would agree that because the share performance has been so poor for so long, there's probably no benefit. Like if you sell it at 200, like if you don't want to be in that business now, you can sell your shares at a market cap of 236 million. Maybe you could have got 250 mm. million if they'd accepted that offer. But yeah, they're probably best just going for broke. So yeah. I thought it was interesting yeah. though, because I mean, the, the brand definitely is worth something. It's the sort of thing where mm. like Boohoo or Mike Ashley would go in and buy it if yeah. it did go bust. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So <laughs> watch this space. So should we move on to another poor business? Yes, or one that we've covered before, Saga, the FTSE 250 company best known for, well, best known as, as a cruise liner and insurance company for the over 50s with their preliminary results out last week. With full year revenue up 11.7% to £377.2 million but a pre-tax loss of £23.5 million for the year end January uh, 31st, compared with a £61.2 million loss a year ago. In their retail broking division, which provides motor, medical, household and travel insurance, gross written premiums fell 3.1% to £563.6 million, and underlying pre-tax profit fell 9.8% to £66.6 million, with higher marketing costs and the sale of Bennett's. However, the number of Saga policies rose 2.6%, with an increase in travel policies as the pandemic eased. 
In the insurance underwriting division, net earned premiums were down 11.9% to £161.5 million, and combined operating ratio or the percentage of premiums paid out in claims and costs rose from 91.4% to 96.3%, adding further pressure. In the travel division, revenue was up 83.5% to £94.7 million, which includes the period of COVID travel restrictions with suspension of cruises from mid-March to the end of June 2021. And the group also commented that their marketing expenses had been up 40%, which led to a 1% increase in the underlying, in the underlying loss before tax to £79.3 million. Ewan Sutherland, the group's chief executive, said, looking to the future, I'm both confident and excited about the opportunities ahead of us as we emerge stronger from the pandemic than we went in, whilst remaining mindful of the current challenging external environment. In terms of valuation, Saga has a market capitalisation of £322 million, currently has no earnings, and it doesn't pay a dividend. I mean, this is the better numbers than, we last, than when we last covered it, but that's you know not really saying very much. The group faced the existential crisis when COVID came along, and it's heavily into cruises and travel for the over fifty. So they're exactly the sorts of people who are going to either be dying or you know locked locked away. Certainly not travelling. So it's unsurprising that the numbers. I mean, they're beginning to pick up, but it has been so so tough for Saga. I certainly don't think it's investable at the moment, but the company does look to slowly be turning things around. And whether it returns to profit next year or the year after, it, I think it's probably going in the right direction, but not something I'd be, I wouldn't have looked at it pre-pandemic and I'm certainly you know, not inclined to look at it in any more depth right at the moment. I suppose people might be tempted to buy it as sort of a turnaround play, but I think there are lots of other good companies out there that I go to first. Sam, what are your thoughts on these uh, numbers from Saga? They are better than they were. It's, it's. You, I do feel for it because it's, it's not really anything they could have done. They, they did just find themselves in a very unfortunate situation. But as a business, I just don't think it's investable at all. I mean, when I think it's funny that management have said that, or that did management say they're going to focus on paying down debt somewhere. Oh, yeah, so it's, it says they're, they're continuing to focus on reducing the net debt. But then the net debt is currently sat at, it's down 4%, and it's sat at $729 million. And when they're generating a free cash flow for the year of $27 million, it's going to take a very long time to pay that debt down. And then when the thing's only got a market cap of $300 million, I mean, at, at what point can they start thinking about dividends if, I don't know what the terms of expiry is on the debt, but if they start having to restructure in a higher interest rate environment, that could absolutely kill them. It, it's very cheap, but I think it's cheap for good reason, because as a shareholder, you don't own the business. The debt holders do. And even if it does turn around, is it is it a business you actually want to be holding? I mean, you couldn't hold this and sleep well at night at the minute with that in your portfolio. No, and I mean, it's... Since it went public in 2014, it is down over 90%. Yeah. And it's it's like even in even pre-pandemic, it's not a business that I would have found particularly interesting. But yeah, it's just it's just got so much debt. It's got it's in really an industry that you probably don't want to be in. Maybe there's some value there, but 
I'm not. I don't. I don't like to catch falling knives. I. I wouldn't. I wouldn't look at it at all. But that would have been the case pre-pandemic. Let's move on. Keyword studios. Yes, keyword studios. We have covered them before, but for anyone who doesn't know what they do, I'll just some information. So Keyword Studios is an international technical services provider to the global video games industry. The company's art creation service line creates graphical art assets for video games and operates marketing services businesses. Game development service line provides external development services to game developers and publishers. And the audio services line provides multi-language voiceover, original language voice recording, music, sound design and accessibility. They also do testing for defects. And they do a lot of other stuff. So a lot, a lot of the stuff that goes on in a video game, you can, you can basically pay Keyword Studios and they'll do it for you if you're making a video game. So they have come out with their full year results and full year revenue rose 37.1% to 512.2 million euros. And all these figures are in euros. On an organic basis, which excludes the effect of exchange rates and acquisitions, there was a 19% increase. Underlying pre-tax profit reached 86 million, a rise of 56.4%. Both the revenue and profits were in line with upgraded guidance given in January. Group's been helped by a non-repeat of the COVID-related production delays, as well as high levels of demand thanks to a buoyant video games market refocused on new content creation. Keyword said the industry is still leaning towards outsourcing production, which is obviously good for them. The group expects to deliver full year revenue and profit towards 610 million and 95 million, the top end of analysts' expectations. However, it remains mindful of the ongoing situation in Russia, where its team are still working, but only completing critical work for non-Russian clients and relocation is being pursued. If we split these results by division in the game development division, which makes up 27.1% of revenue, the revenue rose 16% to 138.9 million as it benefited from a renewed focus on content generation in the gaming industry. Functional testing, which makes up 18.1% of revenue, that posted a 17.2% increase in revenue to 92.7 million. Art creation, which makes up 9.6% of revenue, rose 24.4% to 49.3 million, which reflected strong demand across all art studios. There was exceptional growth in India, thanks to an unusually successful ability to ramp up recruitment to match demand. Strong demand is expected to last into the new financial year. Despite fewer in-person events and game launches, marketing, which makes up 9% of revenue, did well, with the revenue rising 33.7% to 46.2 million. The group made a number of acquisitions in the year and spoke of the potential opportunity given how fragmented the market is. Audio, which makes up 12% of revenue, recorded revenue of 61.3 million as growth in new clients across all core services offset the challenge of different working requirements. And in the customer services arm, player support, which makes up 9% of revenue, rose 12.7% to 45.9 million. Localization saw revenue rise 12.2% to 50.8 million. And localization testing saw revenue rise 16.7% to 27.1 million. Overall, operating costs did increase, but working from home related savings helped the group gross margins improve from 38 to 39.1%. And free cash flow before tax rose 46.2% to 84.5 million. Net cash increased to 105.6 million, up from 102.9 million in 2020. In terms of valuation, this is not a cheap stock. It is a P ratio of 29.3. 
and that compares to a 10-year average of 28.9. And the prospective dividend yield for the next 12 months is 0.1%. However, when you go in and actually look at the figures for the last five years, revenue has gone from 151 to 512 million. So over the last five years, revenue's up 239%. And the earnings, or go the diluted earnings per share, that's up from 11.87 cents to 42.98 cents. So in the last five years, that's up 262%. This is the second time we've looked at this business. I think the first time I probably, I didn't quite, I was, it was more about getting to grips with it a bit, whereas now I know what the business does. I, I think I'm probably appreciating a bit more how good a business this is. I don't think I'd really appreciated that last time. I think a PE of 29 for a company putting up these kinds of figures in an industry that I would expect to continue to have the tailwinds that it's currently enjoying. I think, I think it's an industry that's going to carry on growing for a while. I think a PE of 29 is pretty fair, actually. And I, I do like it. It wouldn't surprise me if it became, because it's only got a market cap of... Just under 2 billion. Just under 2 billion. So it wouldn't surprise me if it became a takeover target for one of the bigger companies like an EA or, or Microsoft, which now owns Activision. Mm. So, John, what are your thoughts on these results and keywords as a company? I mean, <laughs> very good results. And like you say, first time we covered it, I'm, I'm growing to like it a bit more um, the more I learn about it. And the fact that it's UK-based in a growth industry is certainly not cheap. But for those sort of numbers, just under 30 times earnings... I, I'm probably going to take another, well, take a more in-depth look at it and uh, certainly go on my watch list. Yeah, I think it's good enough for the watch list as well. It's aim listed, actually. It's not on the FODSI. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you bought, yeah. in the past five years, the shares are up 296%. Yeah. So and since not... listing in 2013, it's 16 bagger. It's all right. But if you bought it five <laughs> years ago, where we went through yeah. those figures where the earnings are up 240%, that share price increase is basically, it's only slightly above the earnings. Yeah. So the yeah, multiple is yeah. not expanded. They, really, your growth has come from the growth of the business. So mm. no, I, I like it. The last time we covered it, I definitely did not appreciate the figures it was putting up, I don't think. Mm-hmm. But it's like you, you can see it in the figures as well. If you look at revenue, 2017, it was 151. 2018, 250. 2019, 326, 2020, 373, and 2021, 512. It's, it's a bit of a monster, actually. I do like it. Mm, mm, yeah, no, likewise. likewise. Shall we well, move on to AG Bar? Yes. So AG Bar, one we've covered before, but the soft drinks maker, best known for Iron Brew, but whose portfolio also includes Strathmore Water, Snapple, Brubicon, and Funkin' Cocktails, they had, so I suppose it's not just soft drinks, but majority, um, they had their full year results out uh, last week with full year revenue up 18.3% to £268.8 million with growth across all core brands, Iron Brew, Rubicon and Funkin', and they were all ahead of 2019 sales. In spite of inflationary pressures, the group managed costs effectively and operating margins were up from 14.8% to 15.6%. And underlying profit before tax rose 26.5% to £41.5 million. In the core soft drinks business that accounts for 85% of group sales, revenue was up 20.6% to 
230.6 million pounds with a launch of Rubicon Raw Energy, which is a caffeinated fruit drink and higher on-trade sales. A combination of higher sales, particularly of their more profitable products, led gross margins to rise from 42.2% to 44.9% and gross profit up nearly 17% to £103.5 million. Iron Brew increased volume, sales and gross margins with single serve cans and the resurrection of the full fat version under the 1901 brand in Scotland. So that's just, yeah, essentially the like the original coat, the original iron brew, rather than the reformulated one, they didn't the response to the sugar tax. Rubicon also performed strongly with the introduction of their energy drink and growth of Rubicon Spring. Funkin, the bartender quality cocktails, saw revenue doubled to 36.9 million pounds with a reopening of the hospitality sector and gross margins improved to 39.8% from 35.9% last year. The group also purchased Moma Foods, which sell oat milk and granolas, and that meant free cash flow was down to £33.3 million from £43.6 million. Alongside these results, a final dividend of 10 pence a share was announced, and the group planned to combat inflation with strict cost management initiatives and higher prices. In terms of valuation, AG Bar has a market capitalization of £603 million and trades at 17.5 times earnings compared with a 10-year average of 19.8 and shares yield close to 3%. I was really surprised by these results. I thought they were much, well, the, the times that we looked at AG Bar previously, I think we'd always said we, we prefer its competitors which may still be true, but I thought these were excellent numbers. Uh, I think it's great that the Iron Brew, the original Iron Brew is back. It's really encouraging to see the growth in Rubicon, Iron Brews continuing strongly, and also Funkin, which I think is, is exciting. And I'm seeing it more increasing in the supermarkets. People are drinking it. It's, got, it's a very strong brand in itself for uh, essentially cocktail, cocktails in a can. And then also... We're yet to see how the MoMA Foods purchase goes, but it does feel that it's very much on trend with oat milk and granola. It's that sort of, it's vegan friendly, I suppose. So yeah, I, I think after the lo loss of Rockstar, it could have been, well, it was it was tough for AG Bar, but I think they're doing, a, a management doing a really good job with the brands that they're having and growing those. Yeah, and it may prove that MoMA is a shrewd acquisition as well as the development of Funkin. Sam, what are your, your thoughts on EG Bar? I agree. I think these are excellent results. I think, I think in the current environment, the amount of inflation that they have seen, and we saw it, we saw it coming through in Britfix results as well, but to get the operating margins up, I think is really, really impressive. I think as well, the full year revenue of 268.6 million, the highest their full year revenues ever been is 279 million in 2019 but that included rockstar which made up seven percent of sales or something like that mm. so if you yeah. strip rockstar out of the previous years it's actually doing a lot better i i think these are really impressive results i think i think funkin i mean if you've bought anything and revenues more than doubled it's it's going quite well i think it's fair to say <laughs> funkin's going well moma foods We'll have to see, but I, I think it certainly makes sense for them to have some exposure to it. And it's not a huge business, so I, I think that's pretty low risk. I, I like it. I'm not sure 
I'd pay 17 and a half times earning for, earnings for it if I could have Britvic at 18, which I can. That's my, I just think, mm. I just think Britvic still has a stronger brand. So I would want AG Bar yeah. slightly more of a discount to Britvic. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fair enough. And I suppose not they're exactly the same sector, but other consumer goods companies, you've got Unilever, which is trading at probably a similar valuation. I haven't checked it recently, but it's, I don't think it's far off sort of 17 and a half, 18 times earnings. And we've, I mean, we've also covered, I know you don't like it as much, but uh, Racket, mm. uh, Kraft Heinz, uh, the, there are lots of businesses around that aren't that expensive in this sort of industry. So would you choose AG Bar? But I'd be more likely to choose AG Bar than any points in the last couple of years that we've been looking at it. Yeah, I agree. I think for me, it's like comparing what's the the consumer good one, the goods one that's like a really quite small, it's FTSE listed, it's got the Imperial Leather and the Natural Source Shampoo. Can you remember the name of it? Oh, PZ Cousins. That, yeah, it's, for me, it's like comparing PZ Cousins to Unilever, where PZ yeah, Cousins, yeah. it's got some strong brands and it's a good business, but it's it doesn't have as good brands as Unilever. So even if it's putting up absolutely cracking figures, I wouldn't, I would always, all things being equal, if they, if they were trading at the same PE, I would always be picking Unilever over PZ Cousins. I'd need a reason to buy it over Unilever. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think the current valuation gives that with AG Bar compared to Britvic. No, if it were <laughs> 15, 16, yeah. But it's, yeah, it's, it is very difficult. But yeah. they are very good results, so. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. And what do you think about the return of uh, True Iron Brew, the 1901 brand? I've never actually tried Iron Brew, <laughs> so I, I can't... Just put the sugar back in. I can't comment. But it, was it you that told me Iron Brew outsells Coca-Cola in Scotland? I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which so, is pretty mad. Yeah, that's right. I don't know if that says more about the Scottish or Iron <laughs> Brew. Yeah, and also they responded well to the 1901 brand that it's uh, it's come back in spite of the sugar tax. Yeah, and it, maybe they should never have maybe they should never have got rid of rid of it. Um, and that Do you brand like Iron Um The full fat version was all right. I mean, it was a yeah, it gave you a lot of energy. <laughs> I really like Rubicon. I actually no, really yeah. rate Rubicon as a brand. But... You haven't tried their new drink, the Raw Energy. I haven't tried the Raw Energy. Mm. Will you? I don't... Uh, probably not. I just I quite like the just the mango, the normal okay. Rubicon mango. I'm pretty basic. You don't need the caffeine caffeine in your life. No, no, <laughs> just the sugar will do me. I'll, I don't know if there's sugar in it anymore, but anyway. Right, US company of the week, Lululemon. Yes, Lululemon. I'm sure most of you have heard of them, but if not, they, they make the yoga pants that lots of people wear now. So they have come out with their Q4 and full year results for 2021. And for the fourth quarter, compared to the fourth quarter of 2020, net revenue increased 23%, $2.1 billion. And all these figures are in dollars. On a constant currency basis, net revenue increased 23%. And net revenue increased 21% in North America and 35% internationally. Total comparable sales increased 22%. And comparable store sales increased 32%. Direct consumer net revenue increased 17% or 16% on constant currencies. Direct consumer net revenue represented 49% of total net revenue compared to 52% in Q4 2020. Gross profit increased 22% to 1.2 billion and gross margin decreased by 50 basis points to 58.1%. 
Income from operations increased 29%, $590.6 million. Adjusted income from operations increased 27% to $592 million. Operating margin increased 120 basis points to 27.7%. And adjusted operating margin increased 90 basis points to 27.8%. Diluted earnings per share were $3.36 compared to $2.52 in the fourth quarter of 2020. And the company opened 22 net new company operated stores in the quarter and ended with 574 stores. If we look at the 2021 results for the year as a whole compared to 2020, net revenue increased 42%, 6.3 billion. And on a constant but currency basis, net revenue increased 40%. Direct consumer net revenue increased 22% and 20% on constant currencies. Company operated store net revenue increased 70%. Net revenue increased 40% in America and 53% internationally. Direct consumer net revenue represented 44% of total net revenue compared to 52% in 2020. Gross profit increased 46% to 3.6 billion and gross margin increased 170 basis points to 57.7%. Income from operations increased 63% to 1.3 billion. Operating margin increased 270 basis points to 21.3%. Company opened 53 net new company operated stores during the year and again ended with 574 stores. If you compare 2021 to 2019, because it did suffer as a result of COVID, net revenue was up 57%, representing a two-year compound annual growth rate of 25%. The gross margin increased by 180 basis points. Operating margin decreased by 100 basis points. Diluted earnings per share was $7.49 compared to $4.93. And the company has also authorized a $1 billion stock repurchase program. And in terms of the valuation, the company trades at a market cap of $47 billion and a PE ratio of 49. Last four years figures it's showing me. Revenues increased from 3.2 billion to 6.2 billion, and earnings per share is up from $3.63 to $7.52. So it has put up some very impressive numbers. But I wouldn't be comfortable paying 49 times earnings for a company that's well, a company of Lululemon, a company that does what Lululemon does and has a market cap of 47 billion, because I just don't know how, just to grow into the current valuation, I think it's going to take a lot. And I don't know how big I can see this business. At some point, it is going to hit a ceiling because there's only so many pairs of yoga pants you can sell unless there's something about the business model I'm completely missing. And I, I just think, like, do I do I look at this and think, well, I can see this as a trillion-dollar company? I, I absolutely cannot. Could I see it as a $100 billion company? Maybe, but you've got to sell a lot of yoga pants. So, yeah, I... I think it's a very impressive business, but I just wouldn't pay 49 times earnings for it. John, what are your thoughts on these results and the valuation? Yeah, I mean, very impressive results, but for, yeah, nearly 50 times earnings for this business. I just, yeah, I, I couldn't look at it any further at that valuation, really. And yeah, how far it can go, although it does have a strong brand, I, I just wouldn't look at it further. I wonder what Nike's at. So that's probably the best comparison. So Nike's got a market cap of 211 billion, so about five times the size. And it trades at a much more reasonable P of 35. Mm. 
I, I, yeah, I, I, same as you. I just, I just wouldn't pay forty nine times earnings for it. As as good a business as it is. So of the six companies we've looked at today, Ibstock, Ted Baker, Saga, Keyword Studios, AG Bar, and Lululemon. If you had to buy one, which one would it be? I'm gonna go out on a limb and go for Keyword Studios. Uh, I'd also go for Keyword Studios. What would be your second choice? Uh, probably AG Bar. I might, um, do, I might do Ibstock for second choice over AG it would Bar. Be, it would be between those two, Ibstock and AG Bar, but I'd probably go for AG Bar, I think. Which one would you buy last? <laughs> um, mm, probably Saga, actually. Uh, I was thinking it's quite tough, because yeah. I think for me, Saga and Ted Baker are both uninvestable. I mean, yeah. I'd maybe yeah. be more willing to take a punt on Ted Baker because if they can turn it around, you, you probably yeah. could see a multi-bagger, whereas with Saga, they're just going to be paying off debt for years. Whereas mm. Ted Baker, and you look at the last sort of five years of, of accounts, they actually did used to make a decent amount of money. Um, yeah. yeah. The, the issue with Ted Baker is can they turn it around before they run out of cash? But then you've got issues with the brand. Anyway, yeah. both of them are messy. <laughs> Well, thank you again for listening and we'll see you again next week. See you next week. Thank you for listening to The Investor Way. To get in touch, please follow us on Twitter at TIW Tweets. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Neither Sam nor Jonathan are financial advisors. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors.